Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and the terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every creature that lives and moves will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with his lifeblood in it, and I will require a penalty for your lifeblood. I will require it from every animal and from any human. If someone murders a fellow human, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his image. But you, be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again will any, every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every creature living with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The the bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant, and I have established between me and every creature on earth. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa, for reading that. We're in a series. We've been in the series this fall on Genesis 1 through 11, which is the prologue of the Bible. These beginning chapters, they set the context, they set the foundation, they set the trajectory of everything else that follows in the Bible. So, if that's true, if we haven't spent time in this prologue, in these chapters, and if we don't regularly return to these chapters, our understanding of the Bible, its story, its teachings will be skewed. It will be off because of how important and foundational these chapters are. And also, if, if the Bible is true, if it gives us the true story of the world, if it is the Word of God, this also means if we haven't properly understood this prologue, then our understanding of our own lives, our understanding of our own stories will be off and will be skewed. So what we find here in these 11 chapters that begin the scriptures and the story of the Bible is that four of the 11 chapters are about the flood and Noah, about how everything that God created in Genesis 1 and 2, how he created all things good, he wipes out by floodwaters, right? In verse 11, that's how it's put. 
every creature was wiped out by the floodwaters. Last Sunday, we looked at chapter 6, which was before the flood, and we asked the question, why? Why is God sending this flood? Why did he do this? This morning, we'll look at chapters 7 through 9. It's a bit ambitious to cover three chapters. We just read from chapter 9, but we're going to reference 7 and 8. So we're going to look at this story from the standpoint of after the flood and ask the question, now what? What are we supposed to take from this story? If this is the foundational, this is the prior context to everything in the story of the world and even our own stories, then what foundational and crucial aspect of our lives and human experience does this story help us understand? There are a number of things that we could say to this. But here's how I'd like to focus our time this morning, on on this passage and on chapters 7 and 8, and how the story of the flood answers some core questions that we all feel, that we all wrestle with in our gut, in our soul at some point, and if we haven't already, and if we're not currently wrestling with these questions, at some point in the journey of our lives and in the journey of our faith, we will. Our liturgy has prepared us for this. I intentionally prepared the liturgy around this theme. And this is the question. Even if we don't say it out loud, if the words don't come out of our mouths, the question is this. Has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten us and the world? Christians at all stages of maturity... um, at any stage in their faith, will encounter this question at some point. Um, This is a question that is a part of the life of faith. We read it in Isaiah chapter 49. It comes up in other places in the scriptures. We look at our lives sometimes and the things that are happening to us and maybe there's deep suffering and pain that we have and we say, has God forgotten all about me? Or we look at the world around us and we go, it doesn't seem like God remembers. Uh, This is a question that is good for skeptics and even atheists to consider, and they do. From the standpoint of skepticism, saying, if there is a God, look around us. Clearly, he's not engaged here. He just did the whole, the, the, the watchmaker kind of thing, where he just turned the watch, he turned the gears and lets things flow. But he's not engaged anymore. I mean, look, look at the world. One of the key words in chapter 9, that is also the key transition word in all three of these chapters, chapter 7, 8, and 9, is the word remember. After the flood, God says to Noah in verse 8, he says, understand, here's the lesson. I am establishing my covenant with you and all your descendants after you, so that's us. According to the story of the Bible, we're all the descendants of Noah, everyone here. And he says twice in verse 15 and verse 16. If you want to, if you're taking notes, this will be helpful. Underline or circle the words remember. He says, I will remember my covenant. Verse 15. 
Verse 16, the bow is in the clouds. I will look at it, and I will remember. This is a story of God remembering. So has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten us and the world? This story answers those questions in at least three core ways, with three core answers to those questions. And that's what I want to look at this morning. Here's what I won't have time to do. There's a lot of questions that come up with Noah's flood. Uh, Every ancient culture has a flood story. It's a pretty fascinating aspect of of human experience in life. No matter what culture you're from, in, in the ancient stories, there's a flood story. How does this story compare and contrast to those? I'm not going to talk about that much today. If you want to talk about it, call me, email me, because all the stuff is fresh in my mind, and we'll set up a time to chat. Um, was it a worldwide flood? If you know the geology of this earth, which I don't, some geologists say that's not possible. Was it a local flood? The word earth can be translated earth or land. It could be translated global or it can be translated geographic. From the standpoint of the author, uh, the author saw this as a worldwide flood. Uh, That's all I'm going to say about that. We're going to take the story uh, at at face value in that respect. So let me encourage you to pull your Bibles out because we're going to look at chapter 7 and 8. We couldn't print all that in our bulletin. Uh, Pull them up on your phones, whatever you want to do. But let's see how this story, the story of the flood, addresses those questions. Has God forgotten? The first answer is no. God has not forgotten. God will remove all that has gone wrong. What is the reason why we ask the question of God? God, if you're there... God, I I believe you're there. I'm trying to believe that you are there. Have you forgotten me, though? Have you forgotten us? We ask this question. We feel this question because of things that go wrong, right? Things that feel wrong in our lives and in the world. If something happens against you, if you are wronged by somebody else and you are hurt, sometimes we say, "What, what is up with that? God, how could this happen? Have you forgotten me? I'm trying to do right. I'm being treated wrong. Or if you can't seem to make progress with wrong in your own life, with something you are struggling with, with the wrong you are stuck in, the wrong you are doing, a sin, an addiction, some pattern of hurting others, you say, haven't I prayed to you, God, and asked you to help me stop, help me change? Have you forgotten me? Are you ignoring me? Or if you look out, we talked about this last week at all the violence and harm and abuse and all that is wrong with the world. Sometimes we can't help but say, God, are you there? Look at all that is wrong. In the bulletin, there's a quote from Mark Twain. I think this is where he was coming from. He said, often it does seem such a pity that Noah and his party did not miss the boat. That's a very cynical statement. That's another way of articulating the question. God, if you save this world... Are you still there? When God says in verse 11, Never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. He's not saying, oh man, I made a mistake in chapter 7 with flooding the earth. He's saying, I have shown you. I have shown 
all who come after you, your descendants, us, something very important, something very central to who I am. And that is, in the flood, he's showing us, I will remove all that has gone wrong in my creation. It won't happen by a flood again like this, but don't miss it. In chapter 7, when God dealt with what is wrong with the world, he didn't miss one thing. He didn't let one spot remain. He didn't let one blemish. He didn't let anything wrong continue in his world when he remade the world in the flood. You know, when, when you clean your house really, really good, it's just like a spring cleaning time. And everything looks good and it's shiny, but then all of a sudden you see Oh, I never saw that stain on the rug before. Everything else is so clean that that stain, it's like standing out and I can't, I can't handle it. What are we going to do? Or that thing that's broken or cracked over there, if you clean everything else, it's just like shouting at you. Like, what about me? Or when you wash your car and that one scratch, you know, that you never really notice on your car, but everything else is shining and it's like, ah, <laughs> that one scratch. It's like the only thing you can see. There's something still wrong. There's something still left. In the flood, God did not leave one spot or wrong. I want to show you this from chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can listen along. Chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, very specific, on that day... All the sources of the vast, watery depths burst open. The floodga floodgates of the sky were open. Skipping down to verse 17. The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The water increased and lifted up the ark, so it rose above the earth. The water surged and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water surged even higher on the earth, and all the high mountains under the whole sky were covered. The mountains were covered as the water surged above them more than 20 feet. Every creature perished, those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. He wiped out everything, every living thing that was on the face of the earth, from mankind to livestock, to creatures that crawl, to the birds of the sky, and they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. Now, as I was reading that, as maybe you were reading that, did you hear the echoes of Genesis 1 and 2? Sky, water, the crawling creatures, the swarming creatures, the birds, mankind, the breath of life. It's not easy for us to read this, but it says that God, the words it uses, God wiped out. God wiped off. The word means erase, wipe clean, and everything wrong was wiped clean. And I know we struggle. Of course we do. Did everything deserve it? Did, did the human beings deserve it? We talked about that last week. What about all these creatures? Like, what did the lemurs do so wrong that they had to die? Or the dogs, or the cute dogs? We know God loves the lemurs. There were two on the ark, it says. But the point is all creation was affected by human 
rebellion and human sin and violence. Here is the point. God won't let his creation be ruined. He will deal with all that's wrong. He will cleanse the world. There's not going to be a scratch left. There's not going to be a blemish left. He will cleanse the world from all that is wrong. And this is the picture of watery chaos over the face of the whole earth. That's the picture that we're left with in chapter 7. That's all that's there, a watery chaos over all the earth. We are all the way back in Genesis 1, verse 2, the second sentence of the Bible, which says the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the face of the watery depths. What we're supposed to take from this is that that which ruins will be ruined. That which destroys will be destroyed. That which uncreates will be uncreated. And we find this same teaching at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. I think I have a slide for Revelation eleven eighteen, which tells us all that ruins God's original design, all that ruins what is good, what God created good, all that destroys that which God has created good. God will remove. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. As the hymn says, this is my Father's world. Oh, ne'er let me forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. He will not leave unaddressed anything that is wrong with his world or with us, made in his image, his creatures. That's the first answer. Let's move now to the second. Has God forgotten? No. God always remembers. So first answer, God will remove all that's gone wrong. That that has a certain comfort to it. There is a moral accountability in the universe. All that is wrong will be removed. It helps us, but it leaves us uneasy, right? You're like, well, that, I like, I think that's good. God doesn't let any wrong continue on his creation, but I'm a little bit uneasy about that. Well, there's more. God always remembers at the end of chapter 7, it looks like God is undoing everything he made, right? It looks like his plan, his purpose for humanity to walk with him, to glorify and enjoy him, to image him, to fill the earth and multiply is all being nullified and canceled and it's gone and we're back at the very beginning. All we have is empty chaos. The waters, it says, prevailed. It looks like the watery chaos and evil has won. If we're just there in chapter 7, where that's all, we're at Genesis 1-2 again. And all we have is one little ark If you just picture that, one little ark floating above it all. 150 days in the ark with a bunch of animals. And so we can imagine it maybe. There's the animals, there's the smells, there's the seasickness. There's 150 days and there's more to come of going, what is happening? 
If Noah had a window or if he's able to look out, all he sees is the watery chaos covering the earth, just there floating in nothingness. And so Noah had to have said, God, okay, are you there? 150 days, have you forgotten us? And then we find, to me, what is the most beautiful sentence in this story. It's in chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah. God had not forgotten him. Noah, he had to have felt forgotten, abandoned on the water, but God had remembered him. I don't know, maybe the worst hurt, it may be tied with betrayal. One of the worst hurts in any kind of relationship is being forgotten. Let me just share an illustration. If you were maybe in kind of a brief romantic relationship with somebody, had a couple dates with them, and then it ended, uh, and you just kind of moved on, but then you started thinking of this person, like, maybe there was something there. You start thinking about them a lot. Maybe we should try it again, you know? We should start that back up, and you're daydreaming about this person, and you think about reaching out, and you see this person out and about. You see them somehow. You come across them, and you approach them and say, hello, whatever their name is. And they look at you and go, do we know each other? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember you. <laughs> well, that hurts, right? You might rather, I think, receive the response, hello, hello, and get the clear sense like, no, they're not interested. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm rejected. That hurts. But being forgotten is probably even worse than being rejected. At least you know where you stand. Or even another example, we have all kinds of struggles with our parents, maybe. Maybe our parents are too overbearing or too nosy or too controlling or opinionated. Don't raise your hand, kids, on this one. Or maybe they weren't present enough in our life. They're not as involved. But if we have been, God forbid, abandoned or forgotten by our parents, nothing will hurt worse than that. That stays with us our whole lives. To be forgotten by God? Wouldn't we prefer to be disciplined by God? Even punished by God. To know something's happening between me and God. But to be forgotten by God. Might be the darkest and most painful place to be. Even Job, in the book of Job, after all that happened to Job, he said in chapter 14, verse 13, He said, this was his prayer, God, if you will only hide me in Sheol, in the place of the dead, and conceal me until your anger passes, if only you would appoint a time for me, and then remember me. Job is saying, if if I know I'm not going to be forgotten by God, I can get through all this suffering. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, God remembered Noah, as well as all the wildlife, the lemurs, he remembered them. And all the livestock that were with him in the ark, God caused a wind, it says, to pass over the earth. And the waters began to subside. God caused a wind to pass over the face of the earth. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Genesis 1-2 says, The Spirit of God... The Hebrew word is the same word for wind. The wind of God 
was hovering over the surface of the waters, when God remembers, he's not saying, oh, yeah, everybody's gone. Oh, wait, there's Noah. I forgot about him. Shoot, like he's in the ark. Okay. He's not, God is not forgetting the facts and the details of the situation in his world. When God is remembering, he is acting and he is moving towards the one he's remembering. This wind, the wind of God, the spirit of God, same word in the Hebrew, that formed the unformed chaos into a good and a beautiful and an ordered world, is the same wind that when Israel was being delivered out of slavery and there they were standing before the Red Sea and the Pharaoh was behind them and the sea was in front of them, you know what it says? It says the wind of God came and made a way. And in Ezekiel 37, there's this picture. The prophet Ezekiel says, look at this dry bones. And God says to the prophet, tell them to stand up and live. And the prophet says, what? It's a skeleton, graveyard. And it says, he prophesied. And the wind of God, the spirit of God brought resurrection. And there was a flesh and blood army. And when the church of Jesus Christ was born on its first day. They were all gathered in one place in a room and praying and they were afraid and they didn't know what to do and they thought everything's supposed to change. Jesus is gone. Has he forgotten us? They were praying and it says a violent wind came rushing and they were sent out with boldness, with new joy, The world had been made new in Jesus. He had not forgotten. When we feel forgotten and we look at ourselves or life all around us and we wonder, how can God be at work? What can God do in this hopeless situation? Everything is out of order and out of whack. There's no plan that seems to be happening here. There's no rhyme or reason. Have you ever felt that between you and God? And it seems like there's nothing God can work with in this situation. There's nothing God can do. It's dead. There's only wrong. This story is telling us God remembers. God has not forgotten. And there is nothing beyond his spirit's power to renew and to restore and to resurrect and to bring new life to. When God remembers, he acts, he moves. He has not forgotten you, friends. If your faith is in Jesus, and he never will. I will tell you in a minute how you can know that if you're still doubting. I will tell you in a minute how there is a guarantee and there is a proof of that guarantee. But let's look at the third question and we'll get there. The third answer to the question. Has God forgotten me and us and the world? The story tells us the answer is no. God will remove all wrong. God remembers. God will remake us and all things. That's what chapter 9 is all about, the chapter we read. God reaffirms his purpose and design for creation and for us. And he backs up all of this with the reaffirmation of his design, his intention, his purpose for the world. He backs all of that up with a covenant promise. Covenant, what is covenant? It's a very important concept throughout Scripture. It's a solemn promise. It's a solemn commitment of oneself to undertake an obligation. It's the strongest commitment a person can make. God makes it over and over again. 
in this story. God who doesn't have to, God is God, voluntarily says, I'm undergoing an obligation. I'm undertaking an obligation. I am solemnly binding myself to this promise. If you look, look at verses 9 uh, through 17 in the, in the bulletin in chapter 9. I mean, if you start circling the word covenant, I lost count. I think it's like every verse in verse 9 through 17, you see the word covenant, covenant, covenant. I can't think of any place that's repeated more in the Bible. God's covenant promise here in chapter 9 is not just about what he's not going to do. I'm not going to destroy the world with a flood. His promise is also about what he is going to do, the flip side of that. When we read this covenant commitment, in the context of this whole prologue, Genesis 1 through 11, it's clear. God who made the universe and everything in it has not forgotten why he made the world, what he made this world for, and he has not forgotten why he has made you and what he made you for. Even when it got to the point, right, in this story, when God had to take everything back to Genesis 1-2, we're back at the beginning. All we have is a watery chaos. He had to unmake the world to cleanse the violence, the pride, and the sin. Even at the worst point, he is committed, we see, to remaking it, renewing it. He didn't give up on it, to restoring it and us to what he's intended us to be. Let me show you this from the text. I'm going to do this pretty quick. There are parallels everywhere that are very intentional, and clearly we are meant to see this. So, Jaden, if you can go to that slide. I hope you can see that. So here's what we have. Genesis 1 and 2, side by side with the story of the flood. And what we see is almost every day of creation, we see the parallel language. It's the exact same language. First day, the earth, the deep, the spirit. And we see those same words reflected in Genesis 8. On the second day, we see the waters and the sky. And here we see the sky in, in chapter 8. The third day, the waters, the dry ground, they appear. Waters, the top of the mountains begin to appear. The fourth day, there's no need for God to recreate the, the sun and the stars and the moon. But the fifth day, we see uh, the animals, the birds, the things that are above the earth, right? The expanse, those are repeated again in chapter 8. And there, culminating in chapter 6, we see, again, the animals, those things that move on the earth, and we see man, humanity, man, male and female, made in the image of God. We see the reaffirmation of God's creation purposes for us, humanity made in his image. God says the same thing he said back in Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply. You are my image bearers. You reflect me. And for God himself to say, we are his image bearers. We reflect and represent him. That carries with it the sense of value and worth. You are worth so much to me. For God to say, I see me in you. That's what we're meant to be. You're worth too much to me to give up on. All this is making the point that what God created and made, he is recreating and remaking. Okay? But you say, <clears throat> that's a nice chart. But not everybody made it through 
from being unmade, undone, to being remade and restored. Some people didn't make it. Some were judged and wiped away. And what we're told in Genesis 7-1 is, well, if I want to be taken through that which is old, that which is wrong with me in the world, and I want to make it through to the new world, to the restored world, to be remade and restored and to all that God has intended me to be, how do I do it? Well, it says in, the, in our story here in Genesis 7, 7-1, God said to Noah, you alone are righteous before me in this generation. So the righteous one, Noah, the only righteous one, he survives the flood of judgment. He survives the uncreation. He, he, he survives the unmaking and the wiping out. And he emerges out of this death, out of uncreation, to begin a new humanity and to start a new creation. That's what's happening, right? And just by being united to Noah as his family or as one of his descendants, we get the covenant blessings of Noah's righteousness and obedience. This is how God keeps his covenant to preserve the world. So we all get to receive this covenant blessing and say, God is making this covenant to us. He will never again unmake the world like this. If that's how God keeps his covenant to preserve the world, how will God keep his promise to Renew the world. And the answer is, in the same way. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus, when he gave us this meal, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, or this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness, or the wiping away of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. If we remember Jesus... Believe in him as the righteous one, the only righteous one, and we are united to him by faith. We are his brothers and sisters, he says. We're in the family with him. Then he carries us through the waters of judgment into the new creation. And he restores and remakes us into what we are intended to be. We get the covenant blessings of his righteousness and obedience. We can know 100% that we will never be forgotten, no matter how deep the floods get, that he will bring us through. That is the assurance we have, that there is a righteous one. There is a righteous one who can get us through. And if we are connected to him, if we are united to him, then all the blessings that he deserves, that he gets, we get, even though we are undeserving. That is the message of the gospel. But God gives us more than just that. He gives Noah more than that, than just his covenant promise. He backs up his promise with sign and and proof. What is a sign and proof in Genesis 9? It's a bow, the rainbow. Uh, Hebrew has no word for rainbow. This is just the word bow. That's why it's translated bow here. It's the same word 
that's used for a bow and arrow, the bow that is used in war. And notice, when you think of a rainbow, right, the way that it is shaped, which way is the bow facing? Scholars note this, that the bow of God, that he did turn towards the earth in the cleansing of judgment in the flood, God says, now, after the flood, I'm not going to do that again, and his bow is turned towards heaven, saying, I have a promise, I have a covenant, I will remake this world, I will renew this world, and I will renew all those who trust in me, even if I take the arrow, even if it's going to cause me the pain, I will keep this promise. Friends, we see that God kept this promise at great pain to himself. When Jesus was on the cross, bearing judgment, bearing the full flood of judgment that we deserved, he said what? My God, my God, why have you forgotten me? He was forgotten so we would never be. How can God remove all that's wrong with the world and not remove us? The answer is in Jesus Christ. God has dealt with all the wrong in Jesus. All our unrighteousness, all our wrong was laid on him so that all of his right, all of his resurrection might be ours by faith. I just want to close with a few final thoughts. God makes this promise. This is the promise that is offered to us in Jesus Christ, and God gives us proof. He gives promise and proof that he will not forget his promise to renew all things. He gives a sign of the covenant, the rainbow, the bow in the sky. And in the Bible, in our lives, covenant commitments come with signs. This is something that we do still. The best example of this is when we make the covenant of marriage to another person. We exchange a symbol a sign of that covenant when we exchange rings, right? So if you have a wedding ring, if you are married, this is the covenant sign that you have on your body of the covenant promise you made. So when I look at my wedding ring and I see it on my finger, I don't go, oh, yeah, I'm married. I'm married to Amelia? How lucky am I? She said, yes? Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, I'm not remembering that I am married. I am remembering the covenant promise that was made to me and that I have made to another. That I am bound by covenant to another in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, to love and cherish till death do us part. Every time I look at the sign, I remember the covenant. And this helps us understand what's going on with the bow. God is saying, I am giving you a sign to show you that I remember my covenant to assure you that I will never forget. And my friends, (laughs) I've been waiting to say this, this whole sermon. The Apostle Peter says, the flood, the waters of the flood, he says it corresponds to baptism. That all those who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, the righteous one who are united to him by faith, united to Jesus, the righteous one, who deserves all the covenant blessings, You have the covenant pledge. You have the covenant 
commitment. Jesus says, I've already passed through the waters of judgment. I've already passed through the judgment of death. And I have come into the new humanity and the new creation as the resurrected one. That which has already broken in in my life will one day come fully and it will come for you. All things will be made new. Everything wrong will be undone and addressed. Everything in your life and in this world when it seems like God has forgotten, I assure you, I've given you proof. It's right here and it's on the table for us this morning in the waters of baptism. If you have been baptized, that's the proof. God has bound himself to a promise and a solemn obligation to you. You will never be forgotten. Isaiah 54, 9. The prophet says, This is like the days of Noah to me when I swore that the water of Noah would never flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will never be angry with you or rebuke you. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. Says your compassionate Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Compassionate Lord, thank you. Thank you that your heart of compassion knows, even feels, how hard it is, how painful it is when we have to wrestle with that question, have you forgotten us? And we thank you that you have provided us with an answer to that question in your word from beginning to end in this story and ultimately and fully and finally in your son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray. I pray for all of us this morning that even if we feel like, well, that's, that's not exactly what I needed today, but that it would get deep into our hearts and when we do need it, it would come back to us and we'd be reminded You've made a covenant and you won't forget. And for those of us this morning who felt like that's exactly what I needed to hear, oh, Father, sink it deep into our hearts. Help us believe. Help us hold on. And as we come to this table, help us come in faith and to receive everything that you want to say and do for us and in us through this covenant meal, through this sign that you have shown us so clearly by the death and the gift and the resurrection of Jesus that you'll never forget us. We thank you that that is true and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.